everyone, I'm Philip Anthony Albertelli, and this is The Week in Doubt, a podcast for atheists, agnostics, and whoever. And before we begin, just a quick note for YouTube viewers. I did record an episode last week, but I didn't get around to putting together a YouTube version. It was only about a half an hour long, and to offer a brief synopsis or recap, I offer my musings on New Year's, uh, talk about some of the movies and TV shows I watched during the holidays or over the holidays, Wonder Woman 84 sucked. I give a more in-depth review in the actual episode, but I'll leave it at that for now. What else? Oh yeah, I talked about how I loved Luke Skywalker's return at the end of the season finale of The Mandalorian. And I talked about how even though there were no waterworks, I did get a little choked up. And as I understand, it had a similar effect on many other people. It just really must have hit a nostalgia button, you know what I mean? And then that led me into the embarrassing admission that the only film that ever made me tear up is My Dog Skip. I know, probably not the kind of thing you want to admit on the internet. But hey, I'm a masochist, and I love dogs. And, uh, and then I talked a bit about Kyle Kalinske's new podcast with Crystal Ball, and I admitted that I found it a bit dull, and I feel bad saying that. And as I said in that episode, you know, I try to be self-aware, and I realize that this podcast might not be the pinnacle of excitement for everyone. Uh, but as a fan of Kyle's, uh, I think I prefer his solo secular talk stuff. Um, but as I also said, you know, I'll stick it out. I'll see, you know, how things develop. Sometimes you need time to adjust and, uh, you know, stuff grows on you. So who knows? And then I even talked a little bit about Steve Shives, someone that I haven't mentioned or even thought about in quite some time. Uh, the reason why I brought him up is because a friend and listener tagged me in a post uh, having to do with him on Facebook. And uh, I'm trying to avoid this kind of drama, but just quickly in passing, I guess he's getting separated or divorced. Uh, but you probably remember Steve Shives. Baseball cap, flared nostrils, beard like a pubic mound. I know, I know. Whatever you think of someone, you know, getting divorced or separated is a serious life event. So I do have some sympathy uh, on that level, you know. So I probably should be having fun at his expense, but whatever. And then there was something else, and this should make for a nice segue. At the very end of the episode, I mentioned in passing how my plan has been to try to cover Trump as little as possible, but it's kind of hard to do when his reckless antics continue to make him the story of the day. And I recorded that episode on New Year's Day, and I was saying how I'd been thinking to myself, why even cover Trump stories anymore? Biden will be inaugurated later this month, and that will be the end of it. I figured, sure, vestiges of the MAGA cult will probably still be lingering around like a bad smell, and Trump or one of his offspring may try to run again. But once Biden gets inaugurated, at least for now, it means show's over. There's a new president. But even at the time of recording that episode, Trump was still working to try to undermine the results of the election with the support or help of several Republican politicians including the addle-brained congressman from Texas, Louis Gohmert, uh, who has publicly stated that he thought he may have contracted COVID from wearing a mask, and uh, also up-and-coming Missouri Senator Josh Hawley, uh, who I praise for reaching across the aisle and working with Bernie Sanders to try to get people $2,000 stimulus checks or direct payments. And because of his willingness to work with Bernie, I reflexively found myself developing a favorable view of him, 
But then when I saw him on the Senate floor pushing for another round of direct payments for struggling Americans, I agreed with what he was saying, but in general, uh, my bullshit detector was going off. He came off to me as kind of fake and smarmy. Don't get me wrong, I still think he deserves credit for pushing for stimulus checks, whatever his motives may or may not have been. But I was still like, hmm, this guy's like an overly polished, phony career politician right out of central casting. And I heard one theory that it could be the case that he's being groomed by McConnell for a future presidential run. And having him push for $2,000 checks may have been a cynical attempt to make him look more populist. Uh, I know that's probably a very uncharitable interpretation, and I, I'm not sure how much water that theory holds, uh, but I could kind of see it. And then Holly had been saying that he was going to object to the certification of the Electoral College vote set to take place on the 6th of January, when the House and Senate would meet for that purpose. And he did and continued to do so, even in the wake of a siege or raid on the Capitol by a violent mob of fanatical Trump supporters. And on that same day, once again the 6th of January, he was also seen raising his fist in the air as if in a gesture of support to, you know, the pro-Trump mob. Uh, but in fairness and in the spirit of intellectual honesty, I think he may have done that before things really got ugly and the mob actually stormed the building. But this whole thing is so surreal. And uh, on multiple occasions, I've compared Trump's behavior to that of a tin pot dictator. And I knew he was an unhinged narcissist who seems to care more about holding on to power than preserving democracy. Someone who lies so frequently and so effortlessly that I doubt if for him there even remains a distinction between truth and lie. For him, I imagine the quote-unquote truth is whatever narrative is most expedient or more flattering to his ego. Uh, to quote George Costanza, it's not a lie if you believe it. Uh, case in point, I had to get a Seinfeld uh, reference in there. Case in point, the absurd claim that the election was quote-unquote stolen from him. And we're probably all aware that Trump has had what seems like this almost paranoid obsession with mail-in voting. And what I think probably happened is, you know, months and months ago, either someone whispered in Trump's ear or he came to the conclusion on his own that mail-in voting would more likely tend to be utilized by people voting against him than for him. And I remember I did read an article that stated that for whatever reason, Democrats or more left-leaning people seem more inclined to opt for mail-in voting. My personal theory is that Democrats, lefties, secular types, I'll include myself in there, although I don't affiliate myself with the Democratic Party, I'm more of a left-leaning independent, rather heavily left-leaning, I will admit. But I think lefties, progressive, secular types, etc., whatever, you know, choose your label, but we're more likely to embrace mainstream science, more likely to take the advice of health officials and the scientific community more seriously, more likely to take or follow common sense precautions during a pandemic, uh, including opting to vote by mail instead of risking exposure by voting in person. And so I think in Trump's mind, he was probably like, if I can impede or erode confidence in mail-in voting, I'll stand a better chance of winning. And that's probably why for months now he's been warning and fear-mongering about it, why he installed his friend and donor Louis DeJoyce as Postmaster General, and why there seemed to be a concerted effort to slow down the mail. 
But one thing you have to give Donald Trump is that he certainly has a loyal base, a base that is so blindly devoted that they eagerly lap up their dear leader's claims of voter fraud despite a stark lack of evidence. Trump and his legal team filed 62 lawsuits in state and federal courts, and all but one were thrown out or dismissed. In that case, a Pennsylvania judge ruled voters had three days after the election to provide proper ID and quote-unquote cure their mail-in ballots, lest they not be counted. And it should be noted that some of the cases were thrown out by conservative federal judges and Supreme Court justices appointed or nominated by Trump himself. Are they in on it too? And is it so hard to believe that Trump might actually lose? After all, last time, same as this time, he lost the popular vote and that was against Hillary Clinton, a candidate that was widely disliked. And I know Trump, with his usual empty braggadocio, was declaring that there's no way he could have lost to Biden. Good old Sleepy Joe. And to be honest, I'm not a big Biden fan either. I used to like him. Uh, he has a very moving and tragic personal story. A young senator who lost his wife and daughter to a car accident, juggled nursing his young son who was seriously injured in that same accident back to health while serving as a senator. And then, of course, not all that long ago, he also lost his son, Beau, an attorney general and military veteran, to cancer. So a very moving personal story, and although he's always had a knack for putting his foot in his mouth, I used to think he had a certain folksy charm and really appreciated what seemed like his emphasis on fairness and fighting for the working class. Uh, but there's a couple of reasons why I've kind of soured on him. For one, when you look at some of his old crime bills, law enforcement policies he endorsed, etc. Uh, and I've said this before, I don't know if it's a kind of Overton window thing, but some of it seems pretty draconian and racially biased or targeted, you know, in retrospect. Uh, if you looked at some of those policies and proposals now without knowing who they were associated with, you'd probably think they were authored by some hardcore right-wing politician. And Kamala, too, or Kamala, uh, she used to be known as uh, Cop Mala due to some of her tough law enforcement policies. And that's the funny thing. Trump and his cronies try to hammer home this fear or this idea that if Biden wins, the country is going to devolve into some lawless Marxist hellhole. And uh, I'm like, Biden and Harris are both career politicians who are probably at best center-left. I think maybe because they may have grown or softened regarding their views on certain issues, and because they probably realize which direction the political winds are blowing, they might be more open to certain progressive policies, and we might see some minor progress during their term, maybe an increase to the federal minimum wage or something like that. Uh, maybe even that's hoping too much, I don't know. But all in all, uh, if you're a lefty like me, I think we're probably in for four years of relative disappointment, which to me is still far better than four more years of Trumpian chaos. But the point I was trying to make is that sure, Biden certainly wasn't an ideal candidate, and Trump and his followers may have trouble conceiving that the puffed-up, spray-tanned god emperor may have actually lost to him. But I believe many people, including myself, weren't necessarily voting for Biden so much as we were voting against Trump. Me, you know, I'm a Bernie guy, but Biden was the last man standing, and my thinking was, 
Okay, let's get this stammering cadaver over the finish line. Anything's better than Trump. And uh, as I was just saying a bit ago, back in 2016, Trump lost the popular vote to an unpopular candidate. And that was before four years of suffocating political division, prolonged civil unrest, and a devastating viral pandemic, which he handled with characteristic self-serving recklessness. So is it so hard to imagine that the country may have been ready for a change and that your guy lost? And so I knew Trump was dangerous, and that at least a certain subset of his followers were capable of violence, and maybe I was naive, but I thought the violence might not go any further than altercations breaking out at protests, or fights in parking lots over masks or MAGA hats. I never imagined something like what occurred on the 6th of January would take place. And I'm sure most of you are probably already aware but just to kind of contextualize things. On the morning of the 6th, the day the House and the Senate were set to count and certify the electoral votes, which would most likely officially confirm that Joe Biden was indeed the president-elect, Trump held a large rally on the Ellipse, a 52-acre park south of the White House fence, during the rally, Trump, his son Don Jr., and Rudy Giuliani all spoke using inflammatory rhetoric that in fairness legally may have given them just enough room for plausible deniability. Trump spoke about how, and I'm paraphrasing, you need to take back the country with strength, not weakness. We're going to walk or march down to the Capitol, and this part seemed to be dripping with sarcasm to me, uh, and chair on our wonderful congressmen and senators, some we won't be cheering for so much. Uh, once again, paraphrasing, Giuliani verbatim, I believe, used the phrase trial by combat. The mob then heads to the Capitol, and I don't know exactly what Trump was thinking, but my guess is this was his last desperate attempt to hold on to power. He knew once the votes were certified, that's it, show's over. And it's obviously no coincidence that he held that rally the same day the votes were to be certified. What did he think would happen? Did he think the mere presence of the mob protesting outside the Capitol might disrupt or postpone the proceedings or intimidate or convince lawmakers to act in his favor? Did he know or hope that actual violence might break out? I don't know. I think... Um he behaved recklessly and irresponsibly. He stirred up the crowd and sent them off to the Capitol. But once again, I think sadly, he probably left himself enough plausible deniability to avoid serious legal trouble. Uh, but still, I hope the families of the dead or those who got injured try to sue his ass, sue Don Jr. and Giuliani too. Uh, one thing I would love to know is what the hell does Trump have on Giuliani that makes him so willing to go down with the ship and repeatedly make a fool of himself publicly? Uh, is there a dead hooker somewhere? And there was some disturbing video that was taken from outside the Capitol before the actual siege began, I think. But members of the pro-Trump mob can be seen intimidating members of the press or the media, frightening them off and taking their equipment. There are images of, you know, piles of abandoned audio and video equipment. 
And I know people dislike the press. They don't like the way they badger people or beat the same stories to death, you know, day in and day out. I get it, but as I've said before on the show, I think an integral part of a free society is a free press. You might find the press obnoxious or annoying at times, but they're also why or how you're kept aware of what the hell's going on in the outside world. That's changing a bit now that anyone carrying a smartphone with a camera can become an amateur journalist. Journalist. And those people play a very important role, too, because they're often on the spot to catch things that the press wasn't around for. But I think that the press and professional journalists still play a very vital role. And it's sad and disturbing, but it seems like Trump's fanatical base would be perfectly happy with state-run television, something we'd normally associate with Russia or some dictatorial regime. Uh, I think they would absolutely love it if the only station was something like OANN, was it One America News Network? You know, something that praises the dare spray tan leader around the clock. Uh, you know, it's amazing, but now even Fox News isn't even far right enough for them anymore. And now they've turned on them because here and there, Fox will actually offer some criticism of Trump. I think, you know, Trump's war on the media is because he wants to control the narrative. And he's so thin-skinned, he can't handle criticism. Uh, that's something I think Trump and Biden have in common. Uh, they're a couple of thin-skinned old men who don't like being challenged or criticized. But yeah, so eventually the mob stormed the Capitol, broke through windows and doors, forced their way into the offices of lawmakers. Uh, I'm recording this on the 11th. There were five dead, uh, but as of today, it's now uh, six. Another Capitol Police officer has died, presumably of his injuries. We had already known about the death of another Capitol policeman. It was thought that he died by being bludgeoned to death with a fire extinguisher. And I know I'm painting with a bit of a broad brush here, and this doesn't apply to every Trump supporter, uh, hopefully just the more extreme elements. Uh, but it's funny how Trump supporters are all about supporting the police until they end up as obstacles in their path. Then things get ugly. But that's something I've noticed before. If you go far enough in either direction on the political spectrum, you'll find extremists on the left and right, you know, start having things in common. Extremists on the left, like Antifa, are known for being antagonistic towards law enforcement. Well, conservatives tend to usually believe in law and order, respecting authority and people in uniform. But if you go far enough to the right, you get anti-government and anti-authoritarian types who also view law enforcement as being oppressive or fascistic. I think this is a part of it too, and I know it might sound a bit hyperbolic, but I literally believe that the Trump movement has become a cult. It actually seems to fit the definition of a cult of personality. And this is from, and I know, I know, Wikipedia. Fuck off. Sorry about that critical person who lives in my head. But uh, sorry for the F-bomb anyway. A cult of personality or a cult of the leader arises when a country's regime, or more rarely an individual, uses the techniques of mass media, propaganda, the big lie, spectacle, the arts, patriotism, and government-organized demonstrations and rallies to create an idealized, heroic, and worshipful image of a leader, often through unquestioning flattery and praise. A cult of personality is similar to apotheosis, and I know this one because that's actually one of my favorite uh, vocab words. Apotheosis just means basically the deification of a figure, the kind of raising someone up to godhood. Uh, 
um, is similar to apotheosis, except that it is established by modern social engineering techniques, usually by the state or the party in one-party states and dominant party states. It is often seen in totalitarian or authoritarian countries. Yeah, so you have this blind devotion to a central figure. No matter what he says, you believe it, and you'll follow him unquestioningly like lemmings, even if it means mindlessly descending on the nation's capital like a zombie horde or like some army of Walmart orcs. And as a self-styled horror aficionado, I couldn't help but be reminded of all the zombie movies and TV shows I've watched where the mindless hordes of the dead press the doors and barricades of a building while the defenders nervously wait for them to come pouring in. Uh, that kind of thing definitely came to mind while I was watching the video, you know, watching video of the siege. And there was this particular moment that really reminded me of something from a zombie movie. It's kind of a zombie movie trope. Uh, there's video out there, this very harrowing video, of a young Capitol Police officer who gets trapped in a doorway. I think the doors and walls are transparent, or there's windows so you can see what's going on on both sides. But on one side of the door is the Trump horde pressing forward and chanting heave ho, and on the other side is a tightly packed mass of Capitol Police, you know, trying to hold their ground. And uh, caught in between, you know, packed like a sardine, is this poor young cop I mentioned. He's literally being crushed. The Trump crowd is, you know, the mob is pressing forward, trying to force their way in. But they're forcing the door closed on this guy's body while they're at it. He's screaming in agony while the hands of Trump supporters are tearing at his mask or helmet. I think he even has a little bit of blood coming out of his mouth. But yeah, it really reminded me of that trope where maybe you have a handful of survivors inside a shopping mall or whatever during a zombie apocalypse. And at some point, someone gets caught in a door or an opening during the onslaught of a, of a zombie horde. And, uh, you know, the survivors look on in terror as the zombies swarm the person and rip them in half and eat their guts or whatever, you know. Sorry for the graphic depiction, but if you're a zombie movie, you know, guy or girl, you'll, you'll get it. And luckily, I don't think the officer in question died. I hope not. But as someone who doesn't do well in claustrophobic situations, I definitely felt for him. Uh, well, it was probably a double whammy. On the one hand, there was probably the claustrophobic feeling of being rendered immobile, pressed between two groups of people. And then there was probably the fear of thinking he might be about to die, being slowly crushed to death by an unreasoning mob. And yeah, I was really affected by watching this guy screaming for his life. And this is probably going to sound worse than it's intended, but I've never really felt much sympathy for the police. And I don't mean that in some malicious or antagonistic way. I mean, I've never felt like the police needed my sympathy. I've always viewed them as these kind of looming or intimidating authority figures that you would do best to steer clear of. But just on a basic human level, it bothered me to see someone in such distress and mortal danger. And then also, there was just something kind of jarring or incongruous about seeing someone in a uniform of authority rendered so helpless and vulnerable. And don't get me wrong, I'm a lefty, and I'm someone that gets sickened and outraged when I see instances of police brutality. I was sickened by the death of George Floyd, but that doesn't mean that I can't also feel sympathy for a police officer in distress. Uniform or not, we're all human beings, right? 
But if you would like me to complain about the cops, there were disturbing instances of Capitol Police holding doors open for rioters and even posing for selfies with them. So there is that. And the cops were probably thinking, hey, they're on my side. I'm a Trumper too. I wonder if they still feel that way. If they do, it's pretty sick given that there's at least two dead cops. And there were some Trump supporters who died too. There was a woman who was trampled while carrying a Don't Tread on Me flag. I'll wait for that one to sink in. Then there was a guy who literally tased himself in the balls and died. And then there was a young woman who was a military veteran. And I don't know what the hell she was thinking, but she was part of a group trying to break through a certain area. You could clearly see through the glass that there were cops or security on the other side. And at least one of them had a gun trained on the mob. And she still jumped through anyway and was shot and killed. She died bleeding out on the ground with a Trump flag wrapped around her neck like a cape. And some of her fellow rioters were looking slack-jawed, like what? You mean if you violently force your way into the nation's capital and head towards our men whose job it is to defend it, you might get shot? Who the fuck knew? Uh, second F-bomb. Don't get me wrong, I do feel sorry for her on some basic human level. She was, you know, she was young, she served her country, I feel sorry her, for her family, and I feel sorry she was duped by Trump. Can you imagine dying for Donald Trump? A narcissistic geriatric gas bag, you know, especially if you're a vet. This is a guy who said of John McCain, I like people who weren't captured. This is the guy with a stack of Vietnam-era medical deferments. Imagine dying for this guy. Trump supporters, come for the rhetoric, stay for the Kool-Aid. And then there have been people on the right, including Florida Representative Matt Goetz, smug-looking son of a bitch, trying to claim that it was actually Antifa and other leftist groups that caused all the violence and damage at the Capitol. I'm like, Really? Really? You do realize that a number of very well-known far-right figures were among those who broke into the offices of lawmakers, posed on the Senate floor, stole property. The dumb bastards proudly posed for pictures and posted to social media from inside the Capitol. And people like Matt Getz are young enough, tech and media savvy enough, and connivingly clever enough to know that there were high-profile right-wingers involved. So my guess is they're being intentionally deceptive. And you know, if it walks like a duck and all that, I guess technically you never know whether or not there may have been some secret left-wing infiltrators. But if you see a sea of people with MAGA apparel, all the gaudy accoutrements of genuine Trump supporters, most likely they're Trump supporters. The woman I mentioned earlier, the veteran wearing the Trump flag, you know, as a cape, who willfully breached the barricade, you know, even though there were armed police on the other side, uh, was she a secret mole? Give me a break. And it's kind of funny, but I noticed on Twitter that Kevin Sorbo, the former star of Hercules, The Legendary Journeys, I think that's the title, right? Uh, he tried to claim that it was Antifa, too. And uh, Lucy Lawless, a.k.a. Xena, actually put him in his place. Good for her. Um, I've always kind of had a thing for Lucy Lawless, on a side note. But uh, I used to like Kevin Sorbo back in the day. Uh, as I said to a friend slash listener on the uh, Weekend Out Facebook page, Hercules was campy as hell, but it was still fun to watch. And he seemed like a nice guy. I don't know how he turned into such a bitter, deluded old crank. Uh, but yeah, among the prominent online figures... Um, 
prominent sounds too respectful. I'll say YouTube famous. It's funny, I was just listening to the latest episode of Sam Harris's podcast today, and he referred to it as a Pizzagate siege or a Pizzagate coup, and also referred to it as, uh, as a YouTube common thread come to life. But among the notable figures, we have the tattooed jackass and the horned headdress. We've probably all seen images of him. He's known as Q Shaman or Shaman or QAnon Shaman. Uh, his birth name is Jacob Chansley, but he also goes by Jake and Jelly. And I'm like, wait, I actually have an Italian last name and it's a pain in the ass. Why would you choose that as an alias? It sounds like a little league coach who hangs out at the Knights of Columbus. Uh, why not Lord Nightwing or something? Uh, but he's a pro-Trump YouTuber who pushes the whole QAnon conspiracy theory thing. And then we have the infamous and ever-annoying cringe lord known as Baked Alaska. This guy has been around for years. Another right-wing YouTuber. This is a guy that's so cringy that even a lot of other right-wing content creator types who he was once friendly with, you know, tend to stare clear of him. He used to make really cringy music videos supporting Trump, etc. Of late, he seems to have sunk to some really new lows. Or maybe he's always done this kind of shit, I don't know. But he does these streams where he'll go into a restaurant, etc. without a mask on. Just so he can get into confrontations for the sake of content. In one, there's a girl behind the counter and he verbally assaults her, makes fun of her weight. I think it might be the same girl, but in one video, I think he repeatedly calls her the N-word. When the cops finally come, he argues with them like a child. Total cringe. And before the siege, Baked Alaska had made a video in which he admits to being COVID positive and complains about getting it from a particular person. Uh, and then what does he do? Goes into Pelosi's office and intentionally coughs on her phone. I have no love for Nancy Pelosi, uh, but what a scumbag move. There were other uh, well-known right-wing figures, the guy smiling as he leaves with Pelosi's pedestal. Uh, there was at least one right-wing lawmaker involved. It might have been the guy photographed with his feet up on Pelosi's desk. Um, and if you're still not convinced of the seriousness of all of this, let's not forget there was a guy dressed in tactical gear, carrying zip ties, presumably for taking hostages. Undetonated explosives were found. So this is the real deal, man. A dark, horrible moment in U.S. history. Whatever you think of Biden, let's hope he brings with him a return to relative normalcy uh, to better days, my friends.